Hey, everybody. It is Thursday, November 16th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Moshe Mununu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And reread all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Jill, on this November 16th, I'd like to wish you a happy National Clarinet Day. Do, 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 do. Is that like the same <laughs> as a recorder that tortures no. parents across? No. The recorder is just straight air you're blowing with the holes. A clarinet has a reed like has a wooden reed attached to it. Uh, you might be more familiar with the sound of clarinet if you're familiar with klezmer music. If you're also familiar with various Gershwin uh, compositions, a lot of woodwinds in his, you know, you have the bassoon, you have the clarinet, you have the flute. I don't know why I know all this. It might be the two years I spent in band in middle school playing clarinet. Jill, did you have an instrument? I did play the piano very briefly, but no, other than that, uh, not music. Wait, as part of your school band or no? No, not as part of band, just sort of for fun. And then I, I was much more of an athlete than I was a musician. But I could tell you, my daughter, five years old, some of her friends already taking music lessons. I also took piano lessons growing up from age four to age 11. That's when I quit. I will say I was pretty good. Joel, I was playing some Tchaikovsky. I was playing, I was playing, a, you know, some Beethoven, some Mozart, like, doing pretty well. And then at some point, I just quit. I regret it now. Because there's always a piano in the lobby when you go to hotels or, you know, various places. <laughs> and, you know, people will be like, you just want to jam on it. Interestingly, random note, I was at a hotel in Southern California last year. And lo and behold, who was jamming on the piano in the lobby? One Justin Bieber. Well, that is, I think, the celeb sighting of the year. I was at a tech conference. They were interviewing Haley Bieber about her use of TikTok. And I guess Justin joined in, but it was before the event. And, you know, some people are having drinks in the lobby and you hear someone like playing a piano really well. You turn around and it's, oh my God, that's Biebs. Speaking of someone who's very talented, I mean, he started out on guitar, I, I, but I don't know, Jill, taking it back to the beginning here, if he has experience with the clarinet. <laughs> All right, well, that was a tech conference, but to a different conference, let's get to some headlines here. A high stakes meeting between President Biden and China's President Xi Jinping in San Francisco. Plus the latest from the Middle East, Israel said its military has launched a, quote, targeted operation against Hamas inside of Gaza's largest hospital. What they say they found when they went in there. On to politics. Watch out Joe Biden and Donald Trump and RFK Jr. Senator Joe Manchin says that he would, quote, absolutely consider a presidential run in 2024. I'm not sure Biden and Trump are too worried, Jill, but we'll get into it. TikTok, not just for dance videos and makeup tutorials. More Americans flocking to the platform to get their news. ESPN Bet, a rebranded sports gambling market, is officially live. Americans' trust in science is declining. And eating one popular fruit could help reduce your chances of developing dementia. Plus, Moshe is on this day in history. Jill, there's a Broadway show that opened on this day in history to some mixed reaction. It turns out that some people weren't convinced that raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens were among their favorite things or that it would work. For some reason, Moshe, I thought you were going to mention cats. Not an anniversary for an Andrew Lloyd Webber musical, Jill. Today, it's all about Rodgers and Hammerstein. You're really dropping your musical knowledge, Moshe. It's very impressive. Jill, I grew up on a steady diet of uh, Broadway music and some other shows, and I feel like where else to drop that knowledge than here <laughs> on the Mo News Podcast? 
All right, let's get to the top story. For the first time in over a year, President Biden and Chinese President Xi Jinping met in person. It is Xi's first visit to the United States in six years. He's visiting as part of the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Summit, or APEC. Biden kicking off that meeting by stressing the need for the two superpowers to avoid conflict and an immediate call to ease tensions. Xi striking a more conciliatory tone than expected, at least at the start of the meeting. Here he is through a translator. Planet Earth is big enough for the two countries to succeed, and one country's success is an opportunity for the other. The two sides then went behind closed doors for hours worth of meetings. President Biden speaking to the media afterwards. As you know, I just concluded several hours of meetings with President Xi, and I believe there are some of the most constructive and productive discussions we've had. I've been meeting with President Xi since both of us were vice president over 10 years ago. Our meetings have always been candid and straightforward. We haven't always agreed, but they've been straightforward. And today, build on the groundwork related over the past several months of high-level diplomacy between our teams, we've made some important progress, I believe. Most we say life, all that expectations. The expectations here, pretty low. The biggest goal was for both countries to resume communicating after months of silence. So <laughs> I guess that's something. That silence started when then-House Speaker Nancy Pelosi visited Taiwan. And of course, there was the Chinese spy balloon saga when in February, that spy balloon, which is the size of three school buses, drifted across the U.S., peaking along the way into U.S. military sites, including bases where nuclear warheads are stored. Beijing claimed the balloon was an airship with meteorological gear that had blown off course. Washington didn't spy it. And then we shot it down just off the coast of South Carolina. Uh, if you recall, Jill, that wasn't the only issue. There have been questions about their alliance with Iran, their uh, alliance with Putin, continued threats and military exercises around Taiwan, um, as well as hacking, uh, Chinese hacking into the U.S. government, as well as companies. So you played that quick clip of Biden. He gave that press conference afterwards and basically said they came to two key agreements. Uh, this is what came out of the meeting, an agreement on fentanyl, an agreement on military communication. On the first, Biden said that she agreed to help curb the production of illicit fentanyl that is a deadly component of the drug sold here in the U.S., upwards of 100,000 dead now, blamed annually on fentanyl. A lot of it produced out of China, shipped to Latin America, used by the drug gangs in Mexico uh, in their production, and then sent over the border here. An administration official saying that this shift here by China, this agreement, will be a setback to Latin American drug dealers. So we'll see how that plays out. Certainly uh, was on the top of the agenda. The other key item, Biden and Xi have reached an agreement to resume military-to-military communications. That means when U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin calls his Chinese counterpart, they will pick up. Right now, by the way, there is no Chinese counterpart. They've pushed that person out. So we're waiting for them to name a new military chief. But there is an agreement here now that down the military chain from the top, uh, through the middle, that there will be communication, that the Chinese, again, will answer the phone after months now, where they're literally leaving it ringing. This is really key. While it sounds very simple, we have the two largest militaries on Earth, two huge nuclear arsenals. We both move our militaries around the world, have planes, uh, missile tests, exercises. We need to be able to call one another and say, hey, 
we're not going to war with you. And with China not picking up the phone until now, because they're upset about the whole Chinese balloon being shot down and a variety of other things, that has meant that certain things go into the ether and there's no real communication there. One other note, though no agreement, is Biden said that U.S. and China will talk more about artificial intelligence in the coming weeks and months. China and the U.S. being the two central hubs now globally in terms of AI production and technology. Jill, I did find that comment from Xi about planet Earth being big enough for the both of us that we do need to work together. You know, we've said on this podcast before, you know, the two biggest militaries, two biggest economies, but effectively major issues, right? Two divorced parents trying to manage the world. Uh, And people should make note of all the details here. The fact that they actually shook hands, you know, everything was negotiated. Interesting things like what were the floral arrangements on the table between Xi and Biden? Well, what did they go with? Evergreens. So clearly a message there about the relationship between the US and China down to the greenery that they chose to put on the table. So most evergreens, presumably what we call in the TV biz for a, a story that basically can air anytime, anywhere, is an evergreen. Uh, the evergreen as a plant just also could withstand all seasons. Right. No matter whether it's wintertime or summertime, the evergreen continues to grow. It's not a perennial. And so there you have it, a message literally lying there on the table in between she and Biden. So despite the hard times, recent hard times, clearly, there's an attempt here to recalibrate the relationship. Notably, Chinese media, uh, the way they were covering this, the Chinese media, obviously state controlled in China, for the Chinese domestic audience, the 1.4 billion people who live inside China, they've continued to report things in a very negative way about the US blaming them, blaming us for the problems in the bilateral relationship, urging Washington to quote, establish correct views on China. So the official news service in China, Xinhua, published a series of editorials saying that Washington should walk out of its zero-sum mentality and expand cooperation with China. Uh, One thing locally, Jill, that a lot of Bay Area residents are making note of, ahead of this summit, the city went through a major cleanup. They invested a lot in pressure washing the sidewalks, cleaning the streets, removing graffiti, opening up temporary shelters for the homeless population. And a lot of people in the Bay Area saying, It took the Chinese president, the Chinese leader (laughs) to come here to do that. Like, what's going on, mayor? They're like, well, it's a big conference, international, et cetera. And San Francisco was able to do it within its budget. So some folks in the area wondering, is that something they can continue? Can they keep the city clean? Uh, Can they adopt a new strategy here, especially since they did it for the international audience? All right, now to the Middle East. Israeli troops say that they found a command center and weapons and combat gear belonging to Hamas terrorists in Gaza's biggest hospital on Wednesday. Al-Shifa Hospital, which is the largest of more than 30 hospitals in the Strip, has become the chief target of a Gaza City incursion by Israeli forces who said that the, quote, beating heart of the Hamas fighters operation was headquartered in the tunnels beneath it. Israel launched a raid on part of the complex early Wednesday morning. The military releasing a video, it said, showed some of the materials recovered from an undisclosed building in the hospital compound. And that includes automatic weapons, grenades, ammunition and flak jackets. Israel has consistently said that the hospital sits above a Hamas headquarters, an assertion that the United States said that this week was supported by its own intelligence, despite the U.S. and Europe also saying that Hamas uses the facility and media reports going back more than a decade about their use of al-Shifa 
The group, again, denying the accusation and on Wednesday dismissed the Israeli statements as, quote, lies and cheap propaganda. Israel is getting a ton of criticism for many in the world community, including the United Nations, for their operation in the hospital. The Israelis, though, saying they have no choice, that they do have to go after the Hamas headquarters after avoiding it for more than a decade. And after several days of negotiating things, making sure they had Arabic speakers, aid, doctors that came in with them, they conducted this operation going in and out to, they say, respond to specific intel they got in regards to Hamas use of the facility. Again, recognizing the optics here are terrible, but they feel obligated to do that both as they search for the hostages uh, and also pursue their larger objective, which is to take out the terror group. And it came as Arab and Palestinian sources involved in the Israeli hostage release negotiations, telling the Israeli newspaper Haaretz that the Qatar-mediated talks have reached what they're describing as a crisis. According to the sources, the main contention was Hamas's demand for a five-day ceasefire. Israel apparently agreed to a maximum of three days. Another dispute concerned Hamas's demand that Israel stop flying drones over the Gaza Strip during the ceasefire days in order to prevent the disclosure of the location of the hostages. Another issue was Hamas's request to allow freedom of movement between the south of the Gaza Strip and the north. Israel strongly opposing these demands and Hamas refused to compromise for fear of revealing their operation methods and intelligence about where they are hiding hostages. Yeah, so there's a lot of complexity here. How many hostages? What's the exchange? What's the ceasefire? What does the ceasefire entail? Who drops their group off first? Uh, You know, we have talked about up to 100 hostages. The Israelis want all the hostages home, saying you had no right to abduct these people, including babies and elderly, etc., Hamas. Hamas saying, all right, we'll give you back a certain number, but you need to release Palestinian prisoners in your jails. So the conversation recently has been women and minors in Israeli jails who are there for more minor offenses in exchange for women and children they abducted from Israel. The numbers have uh, fluctuated from 100 to 70 down to 50. Uh, And then, Jill, you mentioned, you know, once the exchange happened, who exchanges first? Who drops their group off first? What does the ceasefire look like? Hamas doesn't want Israel to know where they're keeping the hostages, hence the demand about no drones. The Israelis saying absolutely not. And so you have a, a, a lot going on here. You have the Qataris involved, you have the Egyptians involved, you have the U.S. involved. And then you have a lot of Israelis saying that this is just a delay tactic on the part of Hamas to basically distract the world, try to you know get some good PR, uh, but not actually uh, deliver on the hostages. And Hamas continues to say things like, we don't know where they all are. We're not holding all of them. We only captured soldiers. They have to be called out on that. So these conversations have continued on and on for several weeks now as these families and relatives have no word on uh, what's going on. And Hamas is not allowed in the International Red Cross or anybody else. In, In many cases, they have not provided proof of life for many of these hostages to the Israeli authorities, to the frustration of the Israelis. So Um, As you watch these hostage headlines, keep in mind, you know, a lot of these are negotiation tactics, a lot of leaks, uh, and there is no deal. And this is extremely, extremely complex. Jill, on another front, uh, we learned on Wednesday that the Iranians have been leaking things to the press. Uh, There was that meeting over the weekend between Hamas's leader, Ismail Haniyeh, and the Iranian supreme leader. And apparently, the Iranians let it be known to Hamas that they will not enter the war on Hamas's behalf, saying, you did not tell us about October 7th, 
So we will not do anything further and stop complaining about it. Hamas has been saying publicly, the officials have been saying, please get involved. Hezbollah, get involved. Everyone get involved and wage war against Israel. And Iran's like, stop it. We're supporting you, but we're not taking this further. Fascinating politics happening here. It was (laughs) because I will say this was one of those headlines that I'm like, is this the onion? Is this the Babylon Bee? Or is this a legitimate headline coming from the most Instagram account? It was Reuters, AP, New York <laughs> Times. I mean, multiple Iranian authorities saying, can you please put it out there? We told Hamas, cut it out. Not cut it out completely, but like cut out with the whole demand for us to get involved in the war. A eh? Like we've been doing our thing through the proxy groups. We've been blowing, you know, sending missiles into U.S. bases. We're giving you weapons. You know, we're doing the whole like destroy Israel, destroy America thing with our rhetoric and parliament. We're burning flags like but no more like right now. And we're also mad at you. Sounds like for doing this whole operation without us, even though there is intel that Iran was a part of it. So this whole thing could be a total mind blend here, uh, for lack of a better term of like, is this Iran trying to claim they weren't involved in October 7th, even though they were or were they actually not? And are they actually peeved at Hamas here? Very complicated. And that's why, you know, it's like reason 7 million, why I tell you the Middle East is a complicated place. And even the allies, you know, don't completely get along. And the various groups all have issues with each other. So just an interesting headline, but also a good thing if you're hoping for no wider regional war. It's clear here that Iran says they don't want one. Also on Wednesday, the first truck carrying fuel into Gaza since the start of Israel's war with Hamas crossed from Egypt on Wednesday to deliver diesel fuel to the United Nations in Gaza. The delivery was made possible uh, after Israel gave its approval for about 6,400 gallons of diesel fuel to be let into Gaza for U.N. aid distribution trucks. Though not for use at hospitals, Tom White, the director of the U.N. Relief Agency in Gaza, saying this is only about 9% of what we need daily to sustain life-saving activities. Yeah, and that, and and even that was controversial within Israel. Uh, the prime minister taking a lot of flack from across the spectrum. I actually heard, we heard from some Israelis on the um, Instagram account who were upset saying, why are we giving them any fuel if they won't hand over a single hostage? At the same time, Netanyahu under pressure from the West, from Europe, from aid groups to let in fuel. And so there's been that huge push. So they tried to kind of strike a balance here that it'll only go to the UN, but not to the hospitals where it could be used by Hamas. Still not good enough for the aid groups, not good enough for the Israelis. And and just a terrible humanitarian situation, Jill, in the past couple of days, there's been a lot of rain in Gaza for these people living in tents um, and in these refugee camps, and with no idea when they will be able to go home and if their homes are still standing when they go back. In one more piece of late-breaking related news here, police in the nation's capital here in the U.S. responded late Wednesday night to a protest outside the headquarters of the Democratic National Committee uh, calling for a ceasefire. This is a pro-Palestinian protest related to the Israel-Hamas war, uh, and it led to some violent confrontations on Wednesday night. U.S. Capitol Police said about 150 people were, quote, illegally and violently protesting near the DNC headquarters that's up on Capitol Hill there, just a few blocks away. There were a number of Democratic members of Congress who were evacuated from the building as the protest erupted. There's a whole bunch of videos. We shared some 
on the uh, Mo News Instagram account last night of these altercations. Uh, it appeared to be a, a couple really far left progressive groups, if not now, and Jewish Voice for Peace. They've been involved in some of the other uh, violent confrontations on this issue and other issues in recent years, uh, several of them trying to grab hold of metal barricades as the officers moved in to make arrests as these people surrounded the building. The videos also did show officers shoving protesters. Uh, many of the protesters were wearing black shirts that read ceasefire now, yelling. It's interesting that they chose the DNC here. Uh, the DNC has no power over policy. That's the White House. But they chose nonetheless to conduct this protest outside of the Democratic National Committee headquarters. You have been seeing, you know, a lot of younger Democrats involved in these protests. We've been reporting on them uh, who are frustrated with the position the White House has taken, feeling it's not progressive enough and saying that the administration needs to stop siding with Israel and call for a ceasefire no matter where they are in the war and what the state of Hamas is. One congressman who was in the building, Representative Brad Sherman, he's a California Democrat, he said he was evacuated by police after protesters, quote, began pepper spraying police officers and attempting to break into the building. It's clear here that in a post-January 6th environment, the Capitol Police taking no chances with protesters getting near a facility that has members of Congress inside. All right, plenty of news coming up. But first, a word from Athletic Greens. If you are a longtime listener to the podcast, you know that we have been drinking AG1 for months now. I could definitely feel a difference in my energy as a parent of two young kiddos. I definitely could use all the help that I can get. So AG1 is a foundational nutrition supplement. It supports your body's universal needs like gut optimization, stress management, and immune support. Since 2010, AG1 has led the future of foundational nutrition, continuously refining their formula to create a smarter, better way to elevate your baseline health. We recommend AG1 to family and friends because it's formulated based on the latest science and maintains high-quality standards. I take my AG1 in the morning, and I know that I am covered for the day, regardless of whatever else I manage to find time to eat. So if you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Start AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash monews. That is drinkag1.com slash monews. Check it out. All right, time now for the speed read, starting with U.S. politics from USA Today. Senator Joe Manchin, the Democrat from West Virginia, saying that he would consider running for president in 2024. Earlier this month, he announced that he would not seek reelection in the U.S. Senate. When asked in an NBC interview whether he's considering running for president, Manchin said, I will do anything I can to help my country. And you're saying, does that mean you would consider it? He said every American should consider it if they're in a position to help save the country. And he said he thinks that we are on the wrong course. Manchin said that he is absolutely scared to death that Donald Trump would get elected to the White House again, referencing the former president's name calling and refusal to accept the 2020 election results. Jill, the name calling of late that's gotten a lot of attention is Trump calling his political opponents vermin, saying that illegal migrants coming across the border are infecting the bloodstream. And that has caught the attention of a lot of Democrats um, and other folks who are concerned that, you know, there's vestiges of, of fascist leaders there calling your political enemy vermin. And so that is concerned folks of late. Right. Manchin saying that is not the country we are. That is not how we became the country. And I'm afraid that Joe Biden has been pushed too far to the left. Can he come back? Manchin asked. We'll see. 
So Manchin has flirted with the idea of running for president as a third-party candidate for no labels. That's an organization that embraces centrist policies, has a lot of moderate Republicans, moderate Democrats. You might remember Joe Lieberman is a part of it. Uh, so is John Huntsman, the former governor of Utah, a Republican. And Manchin says he's traveling the country, seeing if there's interest in creating this movement. And no labels has said it's trying to get on the ballot in all 50 states, which is pretty complicated. Jill, there's a lot of Democrats who say, Manchin, you're just screwing this up for Biden here. You will take more votes from Democrats than Republicans, and you have no shot at winning. So don't mess around here. A lot of Democrats have been frustrated with Manchin for years because of his moderate policies and his, you know, being a stickler on certain issues, making it really difficult for Democrats to pass certain measures in the Senate. So not clear here that he would get much support. Democrats are certainly more concerned about it, but it will be interesting. And we've said this before, Jill, you know, if you have a race here where you have Biden and Trump, and then say a mansion is in it, no labels. You have RFK Jr. polling between 15 to 20 percent, taking more from Trump than Biden. You have Cornell West on the far left, Jill Stein of the Green Party looking to make another run again. She took a certain percentage of the vote from Hillary in 2016 among progressives. So it could make for a very complex mix in some of these um, swing states where every vote matters. And you've had a case in 2020 where ultimately, you know, Biden beat Trump by just a few thousand votes in states like Georgia, Arizona, Wisconsin, and then vice versa. In 2016, Trump was able to win by just a few votes in some of the states versus Hillary. So it'll be really interesting to watch here what unfolds. And given that Manchin and the No Labels people say this is all about running a candidate to win, they're really going to have to show some polling that shows that they actually have a shot here. And they're not just a spoiler because they keep saying, we're not running to be a spoiler, we're running to win. And so here we are, and we'll probably have a better sense of this in the next four months or so, because you really can't get in beyond the spring of 2024. That, of course, could be thrown aside, though, if there's some sort of health issue or a legal issue for either Trump or Biden. From Axios, a story that will probably come as no surprise to many of you who get your news from Mo News. The share of TikTok users who consume news through the platform has nearly doubled since 2020, according to new Pew Research Center data. The study shows that news consumers have accelerated their shift toward digital channels in the past year. Americans are roughly twice as likely to say that they prefer getting news on digital devices, 58%, than television, 27%. Meanwhile, audience preference for radio and print media remains roughly stagnant at about 6 and 5% respectively. About half of Americans say they get some news from social media platforms. News audiences are increasing the most on TikTok and Instagram. Platforms like LinkedIn, Twitch, and Nextdoor also gaining traction as news sources. Roughly a third of adults under the age of 30 regularly scroll TikTok for news That is a 255% increase since 2020. Kids these days, Jill. (laughs) But it's not just kids. It's it's really, it's it's everybody as TikTok continues to explode. And in some cases, sort of replaces Google for many people in a certain age demographic. The TikTok increase is happening across all age demographics. And there's an interesting gender split here. Uh, Women are making up a greater portion of regular news consumers on TikTok Instagram, Facebook, and Nextdoor, while men are going more to Reddit, X, aka Twitter, and YouTube. Uh, That's something actually we see on our platforms too, Joe. We're seeing much more in the way of women on our Instagram platform um, when it comes to news. What's interesting and unique about TikTok, it's very video-centric, right? It's very algorithmic. And when something becomes slightly popular, 
effectively, it encourages other like-minded content. So it creates a content bubble very quickly. And the content that tends to do best on TikTok is the most extreme content uh, that leads to the most amount of comments and shares. Uh, Now, that's something that we've seen on other platforms as well. But the video-specific component of TikTok is something very interesting, whereas other platforms are much more text-based and sometimes that allows for more context or things that are not video-oriented. TikTok's video platform is something very intriguing. And of course, one other aspect of TikTok that's changed in recent years, it used to be very short form video, but now TikTok has you know, opened it up. So you have TikTok Live, you have longer videos as well that people are getting into. Jill, one of my frustrations at Mo News is the amount of TikTok videos we get sent on a daily basis being like, hey, can you fact check this for us? And I'm like, how long is this video? And <laughs> I see it's like 52 minutes. I'm like, I do not have the ability to watch a 52 minute video by random dude 777444 and then fact check it for you as much as I love the audience. Uh, but that's the thing. People are like, I got this random guy who is explaining this. Like, it sounds reliable. Should I believe what this person is saying about the news? And it just speaks to the larger distrust people have in the mainstream media. Understood, right? But this jump to just a lot of random sources, some people who have no background in the subject, you know, suddenly people are public health experts. Now everyone's an expert in, mid- in the Middle East. It leads to, uh, shall we say, a lot of misinformation. Very scary times, Mosh. Jill, I'll be an optimist. There's a lot of opportunity out there for new voices to break through. At the same time, there's a lot of opportunity for new voices with malicious intent or just complete lack of knowledge to also break through. Oh, Mosh, always the optimist. I appreciate it. (laughs) Okay, from CNN, an indication of the impact of COVID headlines on American viewpoints about Science among both Democrats and Republicans trust in scientists is lower than before the pandemic. The percentage of American adults who say science has a mostly positive effect on society fell to 57 percent, down eight percentage points since November of 2021 and 16 percentage points since before the pandemic. Wait, let's just stop right there. The number you just read means that 43 percent of Americans do not believe that science has a mostly positive effect on our society. Four out of ten. Right. So one in four Americans tell the Pew Research Center that they have not too much or no confidence in scientists to get the data. Pew surveyed more than 8,800 American adults in the last week of September. More than a third believe that the impact of science has been equally positive and negative, while 8% think science has a mostly negative impact on society. However, government investments in scientific research are viewed as usually worthwhile for society. About eight in 10 Americans agree with that sentiment. So that leaves about one in five Americans thinking that government investment in science is not worthwhile. Trust in science was not the same across the political spectrum. Republicans have much less confidence in scientists and the benefits of science than Democrats, according to the poll. By the way, you noted it was almost 9,000 surveyed in this, Jill. Typically, uh, Pew and most surveys are between one to 2,000 adults to get a statistical sample. Uh, they went, you know, sort of 4X that uh, to really make sure they had these numbers down here. As far as the partisan split, less than half of Republicans, 47%, believe that science has a mostly positive effect in society. That's a decline from uh, back in 2019, just four years ago, 70% of Republicans said science had a mostly positive effect. Um, so, it shows you the impact of these last four years. On the Democratic side, while 47% of Republicans say that science has a mostly positive effect, 69% of Democrats believe that science has a mostly positive effect. 
That's declined itself about eight points from 2019, much less than the decline you saw among Republicans. So the scientific mistrust here comes from a whole bunch of what we've experienced in these past couple of years, the conflicting information, opinions about the virus, prevention measures, the various mandates, the vaccine mandates, mask mandates, et cetera, where you know, there were certain hypotheses going in. They developed over time. And I think there was, you know, a, a major lack of communication, Jill, because science evolves, right? Hypotheses evolve. But the way these things were declared early on in the pandemic, they were declared as absolutes. So when some of them turned out not to be true in regards to the, you know, the vaccine not uh, being better at preventing spread, or again, when it comes to the masks, people feel misled. And so now they're blaming science writ large, as opposed to, you know, sort of the specific issues we dealt with, just specific to COVID there. So there's a lot to be said about the communication around the FDA, by the CDC, uh, these other agencies around that. But it is interesting that there's kind of this wide cast of blame, because what is science, right? It's our medicines. It's our knowledge of space. It's our knowledge of nature. It's uh, related to climate change. There's a whole bunch that we report on daily in terms of breakthroughs when it comes to lung cancer, when it's, you know, when it comes to all these various diseases. That's all science. But I think that, you know, what you're seeing here is evidence of the impact of COVID and the sort of believe the science mantra that was happening during COVID. And the fact that some of the stuff didn't check out, right? But that's science. That's a scientific method. These things evolve. But I think that for many people, they became disenchanted. And you see it impact in the polls here. All right, some business and media news from the Associated Press. ESPN Bet, a sports gambling service rebranded with the name of the Disney-owned sports channel, launched Tuesday in 17 states. Penn Entertainment, which owns the service, signed a $1.5 billion deal with ESPN for rights to the sports media giant's name in August. Under the agreement, Penn will operate ESPN Bet, while ESPN promotes the app across its online and broadcast platforms. ESPN Bet is a rebranding of an existing sports betting app, Barstool Sportsbook. In August, Penn said that it sold Barstool Sports back to its founder, Dave Portnoy. So back in August, ESPN said it will use ESPN Bets to, quote, educate sports fans on responsible gaming. For instance, by continuing to cover the sports betting industry with journalistic integrity, creating a responsible gaming committee within the company, and developing marketing guidelines that safeguard fans. Um, It is interesting, Disney getting involved here. Disney is fiercely protective of its family-friendly image, not associated typically with sports gambling, but it appears everyone's getting in the mix when it comes to sports gambling. A whole bunch of states where this is going live right now uh, across a wide swath of the country, not all states, but you can give it a quick Google to see if it'll be available where you live. And from Fox News, can a strawberry a day keep dementia away? A study published in the journal Nutrients last month suggests it could be possible. Researchers from the University of Cincinnati studied a total of 30 patients between the ages of 50 and 65 who had experienced symptoms of mild cognitive decline. The participants were told to avoid eating any berry fruit and instead added a packet of supplement powder to their water each morning. For half the group, the powder contained strawberries. Next, the participants were asked to complete tests to measure their memory and other cognitive functions, as well as their mood, signs of depression, and metabolic data. Researchers determined that the people who drank the strawberry-infused powder had reduced memory interference compared to those who did not. 
Yeah, those who received the strawberry powder also experienced reduced depressive symptoms, better emotional control, improved problem solving compared to the placebo group. Fascinating, Jill. I, I mean, I love strawberries. I feel good about strawberries. When they taste good, I mean, I also feel like you get strawberries half the time from the grocery store. And, you know, they're not very sweet. And I think you really have to pay attention to when it's, or I have to pay attention to when it's in season. They also go bad very quickly. Yes, you always get, you know, you look in the, you look in that little <laughs> green plastic thing and there's always like one below that's already grown mold within like five hours of you bringing it home. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Jill, notably staying in the berry research uh, realm, the study comes on the heels of prior research published last year, which found that blueberries could also reduce the risk of middle-aged people developing dementia Later in life, it is thought that the health benefits of strawberries stem from antioxidants. Of course, antioxidants also available in blueberries. And these antioxidants have been linked to reduce risk of cancer, heart disease, inflammation, diabetes, obesity. Strawberries also contain micronutrients that uh, have been shown to spark cognitive and metabolic health benefits. So, Jill, fruit. Now that everyone yesterday cleaned out the refrigerator for National Clean Out Your Refrigerator <laughs> Day, you have room to go to the grocery store and buy yourself some fruit. All right. On this day in history, on this November 16th, Oklahoma became the 46th state in the union. One of my favorite random activities, state flags. I was obsessed with them as a kid. Oklahoma, when it entered the union, they didn't quite know what to do with their flag. So it literally was a blue flag with a star in the number 46 in the middle to indicate where it was in the Union, they, of course, several years later, would roll out their flag that pays homage um, to the natives who lived there. But the uh, original Oklahoma flag, just number 46. All right. As we mentioned earlier, there was a musical that came out on the same history in 1959, opened on Broadway to some bad reviews. It was called The Sound of Music, and it actually turned out to be a smash hit. But the New York Times which we know some people, how they feel about the New York Times these days, had reviewed the show and said that it lacked the final exaltation that marks the difference between a masterpiece and a well-produced piece of musical entertainment. But America don't care, and people <laughs> love the play. You got Do, Re, Mi, My Favorite Things, Climb Every Mountain. Uh, the musical, of course, based on the 1949 uh, memoir by Maria von Trapp of the uh, family of the Trapp family singers. The musical then inspired the film, which came out in 1965, starring Julie Andrews and Christopher Plummer. Uh, and so don't believe her the reviews all the time, Jill. Except at the Mo News podcast, where we've got a lot of five-star reviews. Those are all accurate. Correct. You believe those reviews. We got more than a 1,000 five-star reviews on, on Spotify and Apple. Those are all legit reviews from all of you. <laughs> believe the reviews. And by the way, if you haven't left a review, please, right now, review the pod. It helps us grow as Jill typically says at the end of the podcast. We're going to do a little early today. All right, uh, fast forward to 1988, significant day in history. Benazir Bhutto is elected prime minister in Pakistan. She becomes the first woman in modern history to lead a Muslim country, serving from 1988 to 1990, and then again from 1993 to 1996. Jill, sadly, later, after those two terms, she would be assassinated in 2007. On this day in 2001, a day I remember very well. Investigators found a letter addressed to Senator Pat Leahy of Vermont at the time containing anthrax. It was the second letter bearing anthrax to be sent on Capitol Hill. Yours truly was an intern in Senator Dick Durbin's office at the time, where, among other things, we opened the mail up. So a whole bunch of interns on Capitol Hill at the time were all freaked out about anthrax. We all had to go get uh, prescriptions for Cipro as a preventative measure. Scary time on Capitol Hill. This was the first few weeks after 9-11. 
And uh, the anthrax envelopes were, were pretty freaky. All right, and we end here with a bit of pop culture. On this date in 1977, 46 years ago, Steven Spielberg's Close Encounters of the Third Kind premiered in theaters. Jill, the inspiration, if you haven't seen the documentary about Spielberg, came from his childhood when he watched a meteor shower in New Jersey. And then already at 18 years old, he was producing films. And so Close Encounters was his really his first big one. And of course, he would get into this genre of, of aliens, etc. with this and then his big breakout hit. E.T. just a few years later. On this day in 2001, 22 years ago, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone opened up in movie theaters. It was the first of eight films based on the J.K. Rowling series, uh, which would go on to gross more than a billion dollars worldwide. You might be familiar with those Harry Potter movies. And now to one of the more controversial Christmas songs that you hear this time of year. Jill, on this day in history, 44 years ago, Paul McCartney released Wonderful Christmas Time. Are we a fan of the song? Are we not a fan of a song? I know that it recently finished sixth on the list of the 10 worst Christmas songs at USA Today. The song dismissed as a, quote, a very trite tune. Well, Jill, we just discussed how the New York Times describes Sound of Music. And this is how USA Today describes Wonderful Christmas Time. Though I do know some people, you know, they, they, they just don't like it. I, I kind of like it. I feel like it has a nice vibe. But I can understand why some people, you know, it's not, you know, as we were noting before the pod, it's no Mariah Carey, All I Want for Christmas. There are some other like Christmas classics that probably, you know, blow this one away. I don't know if it deserves to be one of the 10 worst Christmas songs of all time. I'm sure there's worse ones. And Jill, I think it's notable, you know, Paul McCartney wrote this all by himself. He produced it by himself. He played the keyboards, the synthesizer, the guitar, the bass, the drums, the percussion. The Jingle Bells, he literally like did each thing for the song. Like, I think that's fairly impressive. And it really means that if people don't like it, <laughs> it's totally a reflection on him. There's nobody else. That oh, he yeah. Possibly... Like, Paul, <laughs> it was his song, like from A to Z. Like, you can't be like, I hate the, the guitars. Well, that was Paul. I hate the percussion. I did. That's Paul. I hate the words. That's Paul. <laughs> Is there something Paul McCartney didn't do on the song? Nope. The whole thing was his. Usually there is some type of collaboration. If, if you could make yourself feel a little bit better. Oh, they don't like the podcast because of Moshe. It couldn't possibly be me. But nope. All Paul McCartney. If you ever hear the synthesizer on this podcast, that's all Jill. No, we don't have one. No, Maybe we got to bring one uh, in. Recorded, um, uh, at, a clarinet. I'm going to play the clarinet on National Clarinet Day. Jill confusing it for a recorder, but we're going to, we have a whole lesson plan on, on woodwinds and, and various instruments planned for her after we've finished my, recording this today. My bigger question is, why did Paul McCartney feel the need to play every part of, of that song. Jill, I'm going to have to <laughs> dig into this further. It might be because everyone around him didn't like it, like USA Today says. And they're like, I don't want to be associated with this song, Paul. <sighs> okay. I needed that laugh. I want to note, I am actually the biggest Christmas music fan. I happen to love Christmas music, so I cannot wait for Christmas music season, which we're almost upon. I think we're in it. I think we we're in here. it. Post-Halloween. All right. We got to go. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the podcast. Uh, again, if you like what you hear, share this with your friends. It will help us grow. Follow us. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And join More News Premium. It's a way to support what we're doing here. If you want to help us afford a recorder for Jill and piano lessons for both of us so we can revive our <laughs> childhood skill, 
uh, you can donate to Monus Premium. No, in a much more serious way, it's a way to support independent journalism, support what we're doing here. Mo.news slash premium. You also get access to our premium pod. Have a special pod out on how the government's covered up UFOs this week on the Monus Premium pod and on the Instagram account where we let you in behind the scenes. Jill did a whole behind the scenes on how we produce the podcast. I answer your questions about the news all over at Mo.news slash premium for just $7 a month. The price of one of those uh, Christmas time Starbucks drinks. But in this case, contributing to good information and news. Okay. Bye, everybody. Later. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.